It's time for the What in the Podcast. Weird Tales Part 2 Adriana's out sick tonight. So, tonight we're going to present you with a collection of short stories. Welcome to Weird Tales Part 2. And welcome to Episode 96 of What in a Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriana Camito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Hello and welcome to the What in the Podcast. I, as usual, am, yep. <laughs> that's Tracy Lynn Hernandez. I, as usual, am Kent Whittington. Adriana won't be joining us tonight. She's got a cold and she's not feeling well, so she's upstairs resting. Um, you know, I know it happens a lot, folks, but she does have uh, her immune system is compromised. So, you know, she's in and out, but she, you know, she's more in than out. So that's a good reason for her to continue with the podcast. From one spoonie to another. Yeah. I, I would, understand, and people who are spoonies understand when yeah. you're dealing with an underlying illness that just doesn't qualify as, as you know, major enough for the doctor to see. Right. I never boot her off the podcast for that anyway. <laughs> yep. But anyway, how was your weekend, Tracy? My weekend was weekendy. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what all I did. Oh, I had games. I went to, so, so yeah, I'm reliving my, my 20s back into a, a, a LARP, um, doing a vampire game, having a blast. Mm-hmm. But spent most of the night chatting with people, going, "Hey, wait! I remember this, and I remember that, and we're talking about just how we're, how much we have changed, and how much the game has changed. You know, it was fun. It was fun. That's good. <laughs> and then Sunday, I rearranged part of the house. And then today, I had off because mom and dad took the girls to the Embroar County Fair, and I rearranged part of the house. <laughs> Speaking of that, I got to ask: Are you in your living room right now? Yes, I am. Wow. Yep. Just so everybody knows, normally when Tracy does a remote uh, recording, she does it from her bedroom. Because it's quiet there. But now it's quiet out there. But with everyone rearranging things, and Hunter being told, please don't yell. Everything's suddenly (laughs) quiet in the living room. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Well, things things are starting to straighten out for you. That's awesome. Just a little bit. My weekend was spent in Lake Tahoe with my wife. My uncle, who has been with uh, his fiance for the last 12 years, finally decided to tie the knot. Awesome. I was the only family member to attend, so I kind of had to go. But I don't want to say it like that because it was a privilege to go. They had a really nice wedding. They booked a, a nice hotel for everybody. By nice, I mean I was able to get a king-size spa room for not too expensive, actually. 
And uh, you shared those pictures with me. Oh my goodness! Yeah, king size bed, jacuzzi, tub, uh, the works. Mirrors around the room. <laughs> I've never been in a the hotel room so with the window. Yeah, I've never been in a hotel room so so roomy. Plus, they had a nice meeting area. They had uh, an open fire pit out front. I didn't tell you about that. And a uh, nice little little garden area too, as well. So all in all, it was a really, really fun, really nice uh, hangout, you know. Awesome. Honestly, though, partying afterwards, after the wedding, did not happen. <laughs> not for me, anyway. <laughs> I, I had to go directly from work, so I was so beat by the time we got to Tahoe. And my blood sugar had dropped on top of it all. That mm. I was dead on my feet by the time the wedding was over and by the time we got back to the hotel. Had to get something to eat. That took another hour just to find food. And yeah. and then uh, by that time, I wasn't good for anything. But I'll tell you, once we got in that jacuzzi, everything just <laughs> kind of went away. <laughs> well, dude, being able to take you know, jacuzzis are awesome, but if you're just able to take a bath in a tub where you fit, mm -hmm without popping up in spots, oh, yeah. it's a miracle on its own. <laughs> yeah. The only problem with it was Adri brought a uh, bath bomb with her too. And she put the bath bomb in said jacuzzi. This caused a blue ring around the tub. <laughs> <laughs> Which I cleaned up in the morning. Well. <laughs> well. But that just... Yeah. You know, that just goes to goes to show that, you know, we had a good time. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So what are we on about tonight, Tracy? We have more Tales of the Weird. Yes, we're going to do Weird Tales 2 tonight. Um, yes. But before we start, I also wanted to point out one other thing. We were all on another part, uh, podcast this week, weren't we? We were. Yeah. Well, tell it us. was a blast to do. <laughs> yeah, which podcast were we on? Do you remember the title? We were on uh, DPI's. No, you're already oh, wrong. God, you're already wrong. <laughs> FBI. 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 There you go. When you're cleaning up all day long, you get brain fried. That's all uh, right. Would you like me to tell everybody? Yes, please, okay. because my brain is like. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Now, the, the show is called FPI Unsolved Presents on the Dark Side. It's a lot to say, but they're easily found. They're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, they're anywhere that you can find a podcast. They are they're a lot like us in that respect. Um, it's hosted by a guy named Blaine Rohan, who is a ghost hunter, an empath, and a researcher for FPI uh -huh. Unsolved, and Carol Malone who's been on our show before. You guys might have yes. might remember her. Uh, she is a forensic pathologist, uh, mortician, all the good stuff. <laughs> if you can call that good stuff, and I do. She does all the things. Yeah, she does all and the then things. Some. Matter of fact, she does all the things so much, she was in and out during the podcast because she was... Because uh, she was doing all the things more. She was doing hospice, and that meant that she was kind of on call. And when you're on call as a as a mortuary as as a mortician in a hospice situation, you're kind of there waiting for people to die. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And you know, which it's, is it's gotta has, be hard, and yet she's got the strength. She uh, well, she's definitely got the strength. She's definitely got the strength. Yeah, and uh, and you know, down the road that might even lead to some more podcasting with her actually, because uh, mm-hmm. Blaine's interested in coming on with us. Carol's interested in coming on with us. She's got one of her coworkers who might join us, in which case we'll probably be talking about uh, encounters uh, at the hospice and and stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to put out there again, folks, if you're looking for, actually, no, let me back up. I am looking for (laughs) people who are EMTs, doctors, nurses, care providers, Funeral, uh, 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 not funeral workers. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, funeral funeral workers too. Why not? Uh, anybody yeah. in in the care field, basically, who you know, and that includes police, firefighters, all of them. If you have, if you're if you're listening to the show and you have stories about encounters while on the job, we do want to hear from you. Uh, I want to either get you on the show or compile a list of stories from people who have had ghostly encounters of some sort while they're on the job mm-hmm. or even something weird happening. It doesn't necessarily have to be ghostly either. Um, but yeah, if you do message me, you can message me on Facebook at Kent Whittington or Tracy, at Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Boy, that was hard to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> or even Adriana at Adriana Camito. And or at our Facebook group, uh, what in the podcast Facebook group. So there's lots of ways to get a hold of us. You can also email us at what in the podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if I left, if I left anything out, not that I can think of, I think you got it all. Uh, the message on the podcast itself that was it. <laughs> you can, you can message us directly guessing. from the podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll find the message link below. And you can uh, just hit that message, that, that record button, and just uh, tell us your story if you want. Also, one more thing I want to say, and then we'll get started. I'm sorry this is taking a while tonight. Um, Spotify, I just found out, has a rating system. Okay. If you like this show, I would ask, as a personal favor to everybody who's listening, rate us five stars. It helps us move up to the ranks, just like with Apple and everything. So, you know, the more, the more, yep. the higher the ratings are, the better we are and the more we can do for you. Exactly. So, and we want to keep doing for you. We enjoy this and, and we hope you guys do we too. We do. Definitely. Yeah. But anyway, we're almost 10 minutes into the podcast. So we should probably get started. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as we were saying, we were talking about weird tales tonight. Um, this is just us, uh, with no real idea for what to do for an episode. So when that happens, we just kind of throw a bunch of stories together and, uh, you know, we hope you enjoy, enjoy hearing them. So anyway, Tracy, you want to regale us with the first one? So I found a few things. I found uh, 10 story, 10 ghost stories that will haunt you for life. Okay. And these are all ones that are, are relatively uh, recent releases. So, uh, this is the oldest one I found, which is from 2014. Okay. Um, so the first one I have is a two, 1,200 year old, or sorry, 1,200 BC ghost story from Egypt. That's not so recent. 
<laughs> That's not so recent. <laughs> I understand. It's a recent story about, yeah, about the haunting. Okay, go ahead. Uh, in 1915, an Egyptologist named Gaston Maspero published a translation of the ancient Egyptian ghost story, possibly set in Luxor, ancient Thebes, uh, that was discovered on four pieces of pottery. In the story, a ghost of a mummified man tells his high priest, the god of moon, is a, um, sorry, the, 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 tells the high priest of the god of moon about his current condition. As I grew and did not see the rays of the sun. I did not breathe air, but darkness was before me and every day, and no one came to find me. The ghost says uh, in the translation, he seems to complain about some accident that has happened to himself and to his tomb, but cannot make out what the subject of his dissatisfaction is. It's believed that this is uh, one of the first ghost stories told uh, for the Book of the Dead, which is um, what they what the ancient Egyptians used to uh, achieve the afterlife. That's the first one. Okay, cool. All right, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> now, all mine, a lot of them aren't necessarily modern hauntings or modern stories. Some of them, actually, a lot of the articles that I found were, uh, were from uh, uh, 1930s. So. Okay. But I did find some modern ones, too. Uh, I'm going to go into a, a fairly modern one right now. Uh, this one's about the Vasilka Axe Murder House. Uh, but not about the house itself, but about a haunting that occurred there. Uh, it goes, the Vasilka Axe Murder House in Vasilka, Iowa, is a well-known tourist attraction for ghost hunters and horror lovers alike. The site of a gruesome, unsolved 1912 murder in which six children and two adults had their skulls completely crushed by the axe of an unknown perpetrator was purchased in 1994, restored to its 1912 condition, and converted into a tourist destination. It cost $428 a night to stay in the old haunted home, where visitors always report strange paranormal experiences, such as visions of a man with an axe roaming the halls of the or the faint screams of children. But in November of 2014, the haunting took a darker turn. Robert Stephen Larson, Jr., 37, of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, was on a regular recreational paranormal visit with friends when true horror struck. Per Vice, they said his companions found him stabbed in the chest and apparently self-inflicted wound, called 911, and Larson was brought to a nearby hospital before being helicoptered to Crichton University Medical Center in Omaha. The Montgomery County Sheriff's Office said Larson suffered the self-inflicted injury at about 12.45 a.m., which is around the same time the 1912 axe murders in the house began. Larson recovered from his injuries, but has never spoken publicly about what occurred that day. For Martha Lynn, the owner of the home, the incident was very upsetting. It's publicity, but it's not exactly the kind of publicity you desire to have, obviously. I don't want people thinking that when they come to, to the Basilica Axe Murder House, something's going to happen that's going to make them do something like that. The house remains open for tourist visits and overnight stays today, so nothing's changed there, but careful don't get stabbed or don't stab yourself. Yeah. That's weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So your turn. <laughs> My turn. So the next one I have is Tupu, Tupu, who is an ancient Chinese ghost. Okay. Um, I think I've heard of the Tupu. The Tupu was an was ancient Chinese ghost with revenge in his mind. Before he died, he served as minister to the Chinese emperor, Sun, who lived from 827 to 783 BC. Two had a disagreement, and Sun had Tupo killed at about 8 or 786 BC, despite warnings that Tupo would come back and haunt him. Tupo did a lot more than just to haunt the emperor. Three years later, in, in 783, uh, Husan was killed by an arrow fired by an apparition resembling Tupo in front of the, of the Assembly of Feudal Lords, wrote Chinese philosopher Mo Tzu, who lived from 470 to 391 BC. And it was translated by Yao Yi Pao Mei from the Complete Book of Ghosts by Paul Roland. Yeah, mine are short ones to begin with. That's okay. I've got a few like that. Most of mine are fairly short, but they're all interesting nonetheless. Now, you've heard of haunted, haunted doll stories, right? Yes. Obviously. We've talked about them on the show before. <laughs> Most of them are usually older dolls, porcelain dolls from the Victorian era, stuff like that. Every once in a while, you get a doll, you know, a little like Shirley Temple doll or something like our friend Karma has. Yeah. Um, but how about something a little newer? Okay. Like an Elsa doll from the movie Frozen. Okay. <laughs> so when you think, of haunted, yeah, when you think <laughs> of haunted dolls, it's likely the creepy old Victorian looking porcelain kind. Like I said, uh, that's what springs to mind. None of which you probably have laying around, of course. Um, still don't get too comfortable around any kids' toys too soon, though. A Disney Frozen Elsa doll that was gifted for Christmas in 2013 in the Houston area made headlines uh, that, earlier that year when it seemingly became haunted. Now, per KPRC2 Houston News, they said the doll recited phrases from the movie Frozen and sang Let It Go, when a button on its necklace was pressed. For two years, it did that in English, Mother Emily Madonia said. In 2015, it started doing it alternating between Spanish and English. But there wasn't a button that changed those. It was just random. So suddenly, it's it's going to Spanish when it was doing English for two years. Okay. I can, I can understand maybe there was a, a, a Spanish recording inside the doll as well. That might yeah. have, uh, there might have been a glitch in it and it suddenly switched to Spanish. I, I, yeah. But I, gets, I can see that. Yeah, it gets better though. Family has owned the doll for more than six years and never changed the batteries. The mother says the doll would randomly begin to speak and sing even when its switch was turned off. So it's doing it on its own at that point. Yes. The family decided to like throw the. What's that? <laughs> it's like my damn Furby. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of when I was reading the story, too. Uh, or the Teddy Ruxpin. The family decided to throw the creepy doll out in December 2019. Weeks later, they found it inside a bench in their living room. The kids insisted they didn't put it there. And believe, and I believe them because they wouldn't have dug through the garbage outside, Madonia told KPRC2 Houston News. At that point... Elsa ceased to sing the English rendition of Let It Go altogether, speaking only Spanish when pressed. 
The family then double bagged the bizarre doll and placed it at the bottom of their garbage, which was taken out on garbage day. They went on a trip shortly after, but when they returned, Elsa too had come back and was waiting <laughs> in the backyard of their home. This time, the family mailed Elsa to a family friend in Minnesota who taped the haunted doll to the front bumper of his truck. It doesn't seem to have made its way back to Houston yet, as per Madonia's latest February Facebook update on the creepy doll. So that's it on that one. I mean, that's kind of funny. I mean, six years without changing the batteries. Yeah. They got to be dead by then. And this doll is just randomly spouting out, let it go, and, and saying phrases. <laughs> English and then to Spanish and then just straight Spanish after that. Just, I, to give up on English and just only speak Spanish. Yeah. Yep. So was it a, was it a glitch in the in the manufacture of the doll? Maybe. Run on quintessence. Could the batteries Probably. could the batteries have lasted six years? Possibly. <laughs> Not likely. Very seldom chance of that, but yeah, yeah. So very slim chance of that. I should say. Yeah, definitely. So what else do you got? So yeah. I have a, a chain man in ancient Athens. Okay. I told you I had old ones. I have old ones, but it's a new month. So swear it's a, it's a new release. So. New stories about old stuff. Okay. <laughs> a Roman Senator, Pliny the Younger, sorry, Pliny, Pliny the Younger, who died in AD 113, told the ghost tale so haunting this arise to this day. There was at Athens a large and roomy house which had a bad name, so no one could live there. In the dead of the night, a noise resembling a clashing of iron was frequently heard, which if you listen more attentively sounded like the, the rattling of chains. Disturbances that led to the appearance of the specter, the form of an old man, extremely emaciated and squalid appearance, with long beard and disheveled hair, rattling chains on his feet and hands. Needless to say, the house was abandoned and had to be rented out for a cheap price. When a philosopher named Athenodorus heard the story, he reportedly rented the house and confronted the ghost. The ghost appeared, rattled around before vanishing. Athenodorus calmly marked the spot where the ghost had vanished, and in the morning ordered the spot be dug up, the story goes. It was accordingly done, and the skeleton of a man in chains was found there, for the body had been laid considerable time in the ground was putrefied and moldered away from the chains. After being a proper being given a proper funeral, the ghost departed and the house was haunted no more, according to Pliny's tale. And that's translation from Pliny the Younger, the Harvard Classics, nineteen oh nine to nineteen fourteen. I wonder if that's where the concept of ghosts and change or, or originated from. Could be. I mean that's one of the, you know, oldest ones. Yeah, there's a lot of stories about ghosts who appear rattling chains and, and stories about people hearing chains rattling. Mm -hmm. When did that go out of style, by the way? You don't hear that stuff anymore. You don't hear it anymore, but I, I'm still waiting for the, the uh, you know little goth girl or goth teen saying, no, point over over here, go there. <laughs> Leave <laughs> the modern ghosts to be you know, more pushy than they are now. How's right, that? Right, right. Okay, I guess it's my turn now. Yep. Uh, this one is titled A Deadly Exorcism. In August 2016 in North London, 26-year-old Kennedy Ife, I think it's pronounced. I-F-E is, is the spelling. 
Ify, Ify. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Ify or Ife. Yeah, let's just go with Ife. Uh, began acting strange and aggressive following a pain in his throat. He reportedly bit his father, threatened to cut off his own penis, and a company, I'm sorry, and complained of a python or snake inside of him before his family restrained him to a bed with cable ties and excessive force. As the BBC reported, the family then set about attempting to cure Kennedy through restraint and prayer over the next three days, the court was told. His brother Colin Eif told police, it's clear that thing was in him and we believed was a demon because it was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, he could have tried to harm people or in our family. Kennedy Ive had been bound to his bed for three days without medical attention when his brother called emergency services, complaining that Kennedy Ive was complaining of, de of dehydration. He appeared to have developed breathing issues and was pronounced dead at 10.17 a.m. As the Independent reported, while police were at the house, Colin Ife allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection by chanting and praying for Mr. Ife. All seven, Kennedy, all seven of Kennedy Ife's family members were accused of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. A post-mortem examination revealed over 60 wounds, including a possible bite on Kennedy Ife's body and his father, Kenneth Ife, along with four of his brothers, sustained injuries as well. The BBC reported, Kenneth Ife told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts and use overwhelming force, but denied that an association with cults, occults, and secret societies played any part in the death. After four-day deliberation, all seven family members were cleared of charges on March 14, 2019. Imagine that. Seems a little... <clears throat> I want to say creepy, but at the same point... Yeah. I don't know if creepy is the word I'd use. I, I mean, the first thing out of my, my thoughts is, was the man actually possessed? Did they need to perform an ex exorcism or was or it did they need to do something else or was it abuse good question i don't know because yeah i mean and these are these are the sensationalized exorcist stories anyway most mm -hmm. from what i understand most exorcisms they can take anywhere from six months to one or two years to perform and they're never yep. that extreme at least not normally that extreme. Yeah. And they don't last very long. You, know, you go and you exercise, you, you pray over the person, you're done for the day, you come back in a week, you start over again. Yep. That's that's typically from my understanding how they're done. Mm -hmm. So don't, Not that I've seen an exorcism or been part of one, but that's what I've read about. Yeah. So don't believe the hype, folks. Okay. So... That was awesome. Um, well, thank you. How about the next one of Boarded Up Bathhouse? Okay. So uh, the writer Plutarch, who lived from eighty forty-five to 120, tells a ghost story that has much sadder ending than the one from Athens. In the city of Crania, uh -huh, Greece, there was a boy named Damon who attracted the attention of a Roman military commander 
who apparently loved him, as historical records suggest. Eamon refused him the commander's advances in reaching him. Knowing that he'd be killed if he did nothing, Damon got a group of friends together and ambushed the Roman commander and several other Roman soldiers, killing them. The city council condemned Damon and his friends to death. After that proclamation, Damon, who had not been killed, had the council members killed. Damon and his friends took the, to the countryside, plundering it. Eventually, the townspeople allowed Damon to return, but he was killed shortly thereafter in a local bathhouse. And because for a long while thereafter, certain phantoms appeared in the place, but groans were heard there, and as our fathers tell us, the door of the vapor bath was walled up to this present time, and neighbors think it's a source of alarming sights and sounds, Plutarch wrote. The translation of Low Classical Library in 1914. Damon, which is awfully close to demon. With the, with the, letter, which, with the added letter A, yep. Yes. Oh, this is just D-A-M-O-N, but if you translate things, I mean, if you look at the A and then you look at the schwa E, they're the same basic reversed. Yes. So very, very well could be demon and daemon. Well, I think I think they were probably synonymous with one another anyway. At least in this part of town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. I've got one now. It's not a haunting, not a ghost story, but it's a little on the on the weird side. Okie dokie. It's called Couldn't Lose Dead Cat. A New York businessman, a New York businessman who lived in East Orange and was something of a pigeon fancier, had recently lost several of his finest birds through the through the depredations of a vagrant cat. A few days before, the loss became so heavy that he armed himself with a gun and lay in ambush one afternoon when he returned from the city. After a wait, he saw the, a lean cat emerge from the coat, I'm sorry, the coat, C-O-T-E, sorry, coat, with one of his finest pigeons in its mouth. you got to forgive me, this is one of those earlier stories from 1933, so a lot of the wording is, is a little different yes. than what we're used to. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, he, uh, the cat emerged from the coat with one of his finest pigeons in its mouth. He fired and the cat fell dead. In the early transports of his joy at having destroyed the thief, he forgot that there was yet a task for him to perform, but soon recollected that the body must be disposed of. First, he thought of digging a hole in the backyard and interring the cat therein, but then he trembled when he thought what the neighbors might think he was burying. At last, a bright idea struck him. I'll wrap the cat in papers and throw it off the ferry boat when I cross in the morning, he promised himself. <laughs> so with the bundle neatly tied, he took the train on the following morning. He got off the train and boarded the boat. And there he was greeted by a group of friends from whom he could not escape. He reflected that he might have to make, I'm sorry, he reflected that he might have to make embarrassing explanations if he threw the bundle overboard while he was with them. And he deferred the act until the boat landed, thinking he could easily cast it away in an ash barrel on the way to the office. He passed several ash barrels on his way, but somehow or other, someone always seemed to be gazing in his direction when he approached one, and once or twice he saw a watchful policeman. He recollected how unpleasant discoveries had been made in ash barrels. 
and he didn't want to be arrested on suspicion. So he went all the way to the office and carefully locked the body in a closet, reflecting he could throw it overboard on his way home. Going across the river that night, he met some more sociable acquaintances, and the cat boarded the train with him as a result. He laid the package down beside him and tried to become absorbed in his paper, but that everlasting cat haunted him. When he reached his station, he picked up a package and went home. Reaching there, he handed the bundle to the cook and, as indifferently as he could, told her to bury the cat in the backyard. Yes, sir, said the woman. There, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> there were a few minutes of relief for the East Orange, Orange Hut, but soon the cook reappeared. I guess there's some mistake, sir. This isn't a cat in the paper. It's a, it's a nice leg of mutton. The man had evidently picked up the wrong bundle on leaving the train, and he only hopes that the other fellow who reached home with a dead cat doesn't learn his identity. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Well, no. like I said, they're not all ghost stories. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Okay. That was, that was kind of fun, yeah. Yep, your turn. So my next one is The Tower of London. Oh, there's lots uh, of juicy ghosts there. Just a few, just a few. Yeah. Uh, Britain's numerous castles are hotspots for ghost stories. The 900-year-old Tower of London is said to contain numerous ghosts, and the Queen's House is considered by tower officials to be one of the most haunted places. Among the ghosts in the Queen's House is that of Arabella Stuart, cousin of King James I. Arabella made the mistake of marrying against the King's wishes and was sent to the tower as punishment. According to the ghost story, she's still serving her time. In another spooky tale, a phantom bear is said to haunt one section of the Tower of London, called the Martin Tower. The guard who saw the fountain bear is said to have dropped dead from the shock. The Tower of London served as a menagerie for part of its history and held a variety of animals, including bears. Okay. Actually, I know <laughs> that one. Uh, there's also some stories about, uh, of course, um, was it Bloody Mary? No, it was uh, the twins. Um, yes. There was, uh, I'll forget it. <laughs> there's a lot of stories. If you want to know, look them up, folks. <laughs> I've got a different one. Uh, this is called The Wife Returned After Having a Fine Funeral. Valenti is an Italian who once quarreled with his wife, Angelico, over the way she cooked macaroni. As a result of the quarrel, the wife left Valenti's house, declaring she would rather die than return. When Valenti's rage had cooled, he became worried over his wife and started a search for her, reporting her loss to the police. He gave a careful description of the woman, and finally, on being notified that the body of a woman answering the description was at the morgue, he went there accompanied by his two-year-old daughter. He identified the clothing of the dead woman as belonging to his wife, but when shown the body, said he declared that it had been changed. They all change after death, says the morgue keeper declared, or says the morgue keeper who declared that. This woman has better look... Let me try that again. Sorry, folks. <laughs> this woman was better looking than my wife, Valenti says. 
Death beautifies them all, the morgue man said. Smothering his doubts, Valenti says he had the body brought to his home. And then in response to an old request made by his wife, got out the wedding dress used by Mrs. Valente and had the strange woman attired in it. The funeral was held and Valente footed the bills, he, he declared. There's a lot of he declares and she declares and all that going on here. Uh, yes. Like I said, this is from the 1930s, so it's just the way they wrote. Notice the event was published in the Italian papers and the real Mrs. Valente reading it started post haste for her home. Valente, on arriving home, discovered the real Miss Valente rummaging about for her wedding dress. What has become of it, she demanded when Valente entered. Why, I buried you in it three days ago, Valente, in his surprise, replied. <laughs> real trouble followed this, and, then, and when Valente had satisfied himself that that was his real wife who stood before him, and that he had buried the wrong woman, he could only restore peace by promising to buy his wife another wedding dress just like the one in which the strange woman had been buried. After that, now, he demanded that the city pay him $100, which he spent for the funeral of the wrong woman, $40 for wages lost through grief and because of illness that followed the shock of finding his wife alive, and $110 for the bridal costume, which he had placed on the corpse, and with which sum he desires to buy a new gown for the real Mrs. Valente. He asserts that he never would have accepted the body of the other woman, whose identity still is unknown unless the morgue keeper had forced him to believe that it was the body of his wife. <laughs> well, now. Yeah. <clears throat> People need to listen. <laughs> oh, no, no. This is your wife. They get more beautiful after death. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Really. <laughs> the clothes match. Just, that doesn't make you pallor or anything. Oh, you don't no, know. no, no. <laughs> Oh, well. Okay, so my, my next one is the Okigara Woods. At Okigara Woods, located at the foot of Mount Fuji in Japan, the corpses of a dozen suicide victims have been found over the past two decades. And the forest has become a popular place for troubled Japanese citizens to end their lives. Today, there are signs in the forest urging people to not end their lives, asking them to seek help, give number for suicide preventions, after given the number of suicides that have occurred within the forest, ghost stories abound, including several alleged encounters with apparitions of those who have died there. And you can watch those actually on YouTube. It was a short one that, that I thought had more to it. That's okay, because we actually did the Okikigawa Forest. When we did the haunted, mm -hmm. for, the haunted Forest episode, I think it was episode four. So I was like I think so. two, two years back. <laughs> but it's a nice. little while ago. Yeah, it's nice to update. Maybe something new happened. I don't know. <laughs> okay, next one I have is called Flatbush Has a Ghost. The old town of Flatbush, the 29th Ward of Brooklyn, has a ghost, a Simon Pure, sure enough ghost. A Simon Pure, sure enough ghost. I hate these, the articles, the way they wrote them. I mean, they make sense, but if you read them the right way, then sometimes they just don't sound right. But anyway, yeah. sure enough, it's a ghost. Uh, it's a ghost that nightly walks on East Broadway near Nostrand Avenue and stops at the house of Charles Norton to make inquiries for a hand that is lost, that he lost there many years ago, while its restless spirit was in the flesh. These visits are not fully appreciated by Norton or his wife, but it appears that Norton is to blame for the appearance of this ghost because his ghost ship, 
was not heard of until Norton, while searching for gold in his cellar, dug up a hand that had lain undisturbed for years. There was a ring on one of the fingers of the exhumed hand, and when this had been rubbed, the ghost, in true Arabianized fashion, appeared. And as it failed to get instructions from Norton, it is now said that all it wants is the hand and ring, and that thereafter it will cease worrying the descendants of the early Dutch in Flatbush. The story that the old Dutchmen in the town tell of the ghost is that 60 years ago, a belated traveler, 60 years ago at that time, so we're talking you know, the 30s, so it's more like 100 years ago at this point almost. Um, so, so at that time, 60 years ago, a belated traveler with lots of gold in his belt st st uh, stayed overnight on the farmhouse of the Krug, a thrifty Dutch farmer. Or one Krug, I'm sorry, Krug was the name. I'll get through this yet, folks, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so the farmhouse of one Krug, a thrifty Dutch farmer. Krug, when he heard of the large amount of gold that his visitor had about him, gave up his own room to the stranger and insisted that he should occupy it. The next day, the visitor had disappeared, and when the family asked Krug about it, he said that man had departed before daybreak. The bedclothing was also missing, and Krug accounted for this by saying he had burned it because the stranger had just recovered from an attack of yellow fever. Subsequently, a man's hand was found behind the bed. It had been cut off by Krug with an axe, it is said. When the hand was found, Krug disappeared, and the hand was buried. Mr. Mrs. Norton, in speaking of the ghost and its uncanny visits, said the house was haunted and continued. Everybody who's lived here since the murder was done under this roof has had bad luck. One man who occupied the house about 40 years ago left his wife and children and ran away with another man's wife. Well, bad luck for her, but good luck for the husband, I guess. <laughs> another was Something a burglar. Like that? What's that? Something like that? Yeah. Another was a burglar, and when he was caught, a lot of silverware was found buried in the cellar. Another committed suicide. We've been here for six years now, and there has been nothing but sickness in our family. I don't like to talk about these things. It sends a chill down my back. Norton, while hunting for the silverware, supposed to be buried in a cellar, dug up two rusty revolutionary swords and several pieces of ancient coin before the hand was unearthed. Yeah. Okay. That was... <laughs> Grizzly. <laughs> Grizzly find. <laughs> so what you got? Okay. The next I have is the Exum of Roland Doe. Okay. In 1949, a, ball, a, sorry, a boy from Cottage City, Maryland, who was referred to as Roland Doe, not his real name, underwent an exorcism performed by a group of Roman Catholic priests, accounts suggest. There were conflicting reports as to Roland's alleged powers. Some stories claim that Roland had supernatural strength, could speak in ancient languages, and that the boy had no knowledge of, or sorry, that the boy had no knowledge of and could apparently move or levitate the mattress as, that he was lying on. Since 1949, investigators have called into question many of these claims, providing evidence to suggest that Roland was a psychologically troubled boy who hated to attend school, and his abilities were far from supernatural. In any event, the exorcism took place. And, sorry, in any event, the exorcism took place. The events inspiring the 1971 novel called 
The Exorcist, which in turn inspired the famous 1973 movie. Okay, cool. I knew that yeah, one, actually, yeah. More where it came from. <laughs> you have more? No, so now we have more of where it came from. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry, I misunderstood. So my next one actually is titled as well. It's called Ghost Moves Macaroni. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Ghostly wrappings, hand clappings, and other supernatural demonstrations have been heard and experienced since in the storeroom. Sorry, have been heard since in the storerooms. I, let me just start over. <laughs> I'm sorry. I washed my tongue. I can't do a thing with it, I guess. Ghostly. <laughs> Ghostly wrappings, hand clappings, and other supernatural demonstrations have been heard and experienced since in the store and rooms occupied by Frank Petro and family, who keep a grocery store in one end of a big frame tenement house just across the orange line. It was in this house that Peter Cristiano, who stabbed Lorenzo Corbo, an old organ grinder, at a New York's sorry, at a New Year's Eve party eight months ago at that time. The neighbors assert that the ghostly demonstrations are caused by the restless spirit of the murdered man. Father Dakia, pastor of the Church of St. Michael, was called in last night. He prayed and sprinkled holy water in the rooms where the noises were heard. While he was in the house, there were no, there were no demonstrations. But as soon as he had left, the family and neighbor, uh, they heard noises recommence with redoubled frequency and violence. Petro, who is a big, hearty man of intelligent appearance, says he does not believe in ghosts, but does not know what else to think. At midnight last night, he declares, midnight last night at that time, I should say again, uh, he heard a noise as if the front doors of his store, which were fastened with a heavy bar set in staples, had been thrown wide open and the bar flung to the floor. He tried to get out of the bed to investigate, but was held down by some invisible power, which pressed upon his chest and made it impossible for him to move. The presence remained for an hour, he says. The store doors were locked, as usual, this morning. That morning. But a box of macaroni, which had been placed upon a top shelf, stood on the floor in the middle of the room, with a handful of long straw lying across the top to form the cross to form a cross a times correspondent heard the noises that night and made a thorough investigation of the rooms and cellar without ascertaining their cause samuel cristiano a brother of the murdered man who keeps a saloon on the next block is convinced that the presence is that of his brother's spirit he says he went last night into the room where most of the noises were heard and begged the spirit to make itself visible. It did not, but as he rose from his knees after praying, three unusually loud knocks sounded just under the place where he was standing. Petro and his family say they have not slept for three nights. They went out to stay with friends to, uh, and intend to move out of the house. Uh, tenants in the other end of the house have heard nothing of the noises. Ba-dum-bum. Ba-dum-bum. Yeah, that's the story. Okay. So, you got anything to liven up the mood? Uh, 
Maybe. This Maybe. is what we've heard about before. The lady, uh, brown lady of Raynham Hall. Okay. In 1936, a photographer taking pictures of 300-year-old Raynham Hall in Norfolk, uh, UK, captured an image of an apparition floating down the stairs. It's one of the most famous ghost photos ever taken, although some experts believe it was caused by double exposure. The manor covering 7,000 acres, or 2,833 hectares, has a long history of being haunted. And the BBC notes that the ghost Maybe the lady, maybe of the lady Dorothy Townsend, the wife of the second Viscount of the estate. She had died in 1726, supposedly a smallpox, after having an affair, which with sorry, which her husband Lord Townsend learned of just before her death. She said to still wander the halls dressed in in brown. I believe this is also one of the ones that was a a um, inspiration for the Doctor Who episode. Um, where where they have um, a ghostly encounter and it's a modern one a ghostly encounter with um, an apparition that's slowly phasing through the the building uh-huh. and it's uh, the eleventh doctor and um, uh huh Clara and they they also the one of the, the actress who's playing the medium that can see it is one of the ones from Call the Midwife. So right, I believe it was, it was one of the inspirational bits for this. I think I know which episode you're talking about. Didn't that turn out to be an alien of some sort? Yeah, an out of phase um, craft crashed and was that their universe bubble was collapsing. Right. And so they're helping protect or get the girl out. But at the same point, she's being chased by Romeo, right. who's looking for his partner, who is in the in the uh, bubble universe still. Right. A bubble pocket. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I remember <laughs> that one. <laughs> no, I don't know these like the back of my hand almost, though. No. <laughs> almost. <at all. laughs> okay. Let's see here. Let me try another one here. Uh, this is also from the 1932 stories. Uh, this is from, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to read it as it is, as best as I can. Uh, okay, okay. Road, Germany, June 17th. A group of eminent Happy German... Birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> A group of eminent German and British investigators into psychic phenomena ascended tonight to the top of the Brocken. Germany's magic mountain, and in accordance with ancient rites, attempted to change a billy goat into a young man. Somehow or other, it didn't come off. Imagine that. (laughs) The failure of the experiment cannot be laid to any error in the method, for the investigators observed every requirement set forth in the high German black book. As demanded by the formula, the experimenters had the assistance of Miss Gloria Gordon of England, a maiden of pure heart. They anointed the billy goat with blood and honey and the scrapings of church bells. They used the proper pine fire. They described a circle of the prescribed size and they uttered every one of the Latin incantations stipulated for such goings on. Witches have frequented the Brocken ever since man can remember. The smallest boy hereabouts can tell you that. Even Geta in his Faust, recognized that this was a place where the ordinary things happened. He wrote, The witches on the Brocken sail, the shoot is green, the stubble's pale. 
and high above them thrones old Nick. As prescribed by the old rite, the goat was led into the magic circle by a silver cord. After it had been anointed, a white sheet was thrown over it. All the proper abracadabra was intoned. Then, in a weird monotone, Harry Price, director of the National Laboratory of Physical Research London, boomed one. With just the proper pauses, he, continued, he counted to ten. A hundred or so spectators huddled in overcoats to protect them from the swirling mists looked on in breathless silence. The maiden, pure in heart, whisked off the white sheet. And there stood the belly goat. The spectators applauded heartily, and the investigators said they were satisfied. One question. How? How the heck yeah. are they satisfied? Because it didn't go off like yeah. it was supposed to. If it didn't work. Oh, we're okay with it. <laughs> if one plus one didn't equal two, how are you satisfied that that's three? Right. Uh, Oi. I don't know. Maybe, hey, it looks like a boy. I have no idea. Um, hmm. Yeah. The processing of commercial information is complete. Back to the show. Okay, so my next one is the CCTV ghost. This one made news in 2003. Like, I remember being on the local news. I say there's uh, a... Happened, Huh? You're, 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 I'm waiting to hear the story, hoping it's more specific than just the CCTV ghost, because nowadays you see them all over the place. Oh, yeah. This so. is Hampton Court Palace in Surrey, England, has a photogenic ghost of its own. In 2003, a CCTV camera caught the image of a skeletal figure clad in centuries-old clothes, closing the study, sturdy fire door that had, uh, that had been flung open. Ghost nicknamed Skeletor, go figure, attracted a great deal of media attention. It wasn't just security staff who thought they were seeing things. A visitor wrote in the palace's visitor book on that day, because he had appeared on the camera, that she too had thought she'd seen a ghost in that area. Skeletor is not the only ghost visible, or sorry, not the only visible ghostly inhabitant of Hampton Court Palace. Catherine Howard, one of Henry the Henry the Eighth's wives, was imprisoned there and was supposedly dragged to her room, screaming all the way. And the area that she haunts is called the Screaming Gallery. Okay. That was all over the news. Um, because I remember seeing it three or four times in 2003. Granted, I had a newborn, so you know. <laughs> and Ashley decided to call this thing Skeletor. Mm-hmm. All I can say about that is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you, He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you only name it, name it what you're going to think of. And yeah, it's, an, asso see, it's oh, an association Skeletor, thing. How we see Skeletor. Yeah, yeah, it's an association thing. I get that. Still, though, you know, you said Skeletor, and I'm and I get that image in my head. It's like, uh, I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> but well, if you saw this, if you I saw might it, be. Yeah, I might be. So basically, we're talking about a hooded figure, hooded skeletal figure, basically. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, the picture, the, the image we have that's, that's included with it is you can see a skeletal face and um, hands and the legs, but the body, the rest of it is is dressed in in um, in. So it's more like a black and white. It's more like a skeletal uh, monk then. 
Yes. Okay. But not in in full robe. You can see the legs. You can see part of the of the body. Uh huh. But you can also see part of the clothing. So it's not like it's someone walked up there in a Halloween skull costume. Right. This is visibly bony with clothing, not just yeah. Okay, I get behind that. So, do you remember when we had the Van Marms on? They're doing the Upstate Paranormal Conference in yes. Abbeville. Well, I actually have a story yes. from Abbeville that I'm going to tell next. <laughs> it's uh, all about a ghost called Huggin' Molly. Okay. Uh, it starts out, it's best to stay home when the sun sets in Abbeville, Alabama. If you want to avoid Huggin' Molly's chilly embrace. As the legend goes, beginning in the early 1900s, an oversized figure clad in all black began roaming the streets at night looking for unsuspecting victims. Once she fixates on someone, she hugs the person and screams loudly into their ears. Many people have recounted stories of being chased by what they believe was Huggin' Molly. Local parents have even taken advantage of the story to keep the children in line. The town embraces, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't go out, don't, don't be out too late or Huggin' Molly might get you. The town embraces its nighttime warden, proudly calling itself the home of Hug and Molly. There's even a family-friendly restaurant named after her. <laughs> okay. So avoid all... If you all... don't behave, I'll throw you out the front door and let Hug and Molly get you. Yep. Avoid all black-clad <laughs> figures walking at night. They could be Hug and Molly screaming in your ear. Yep. That would be very disconcerting, though. I would think. Just a bit. Yeah. You know, walking along all of a sudden, you know, shrieking in your, your ear. Yeah, minding your own business, and suddenly someone comes up to you, gives you a big hug, and goes, ah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Okay, what you got? So my next one is one we've, we've talked about before. This is Amityville. Okay. Yep. The Amityville haunting is perhaps the most famous ghost story in America. Ronald DeFro, De, uh, Theo Jr. was convicted of of the 1974 killing of his mother, father, and four of their children at home. Uh, reports indicate that the gun that he used didn't have a silencer, and yet there is no sign of a struggle inside the house. That's what left the investigators puzzled. In 75, a new family, the Lutzes, moved into Amityville home, having bought it at a discount price. Sorry, discounted price. They lived there for less than a month. During that time, voices were heard around the house. The, the, Daughter developed an imaginary friendship with a red-eyed, red-eyed pig called Jody. The house attracted swarms of flies, and there were hanging on the walls, and the furniture was said to move on its own, according to reports from the family. Paranormal investigators and Lorraine Warren were called to investigate, and they also reported encountering paranormal phenomena. Ed said that he was pushed to the floor of the basement by an unknown force. The house still stands today, although recent owners say it's not haunted. In the 1977 book, The Amityville Horror, and a number of films are based on this story. And the only thing they'll say is that the address is no longer the same. Right. The house is the same, but the address has been changed. Because so many people were going over just to, just to look. Well, just so, want to look-see. I'm not so sure a change of address would, would really deter anybody. Maybe temporarily, but I mean, if it's not what Maybe it should be, then, I don't know. Yeah, then you go for I don't know. Yep. One thing I do know about that story, though, is it's highly inaccurate. 
at least for what the movie yes. depicted. Um, I was listening to uh, Carol and Blaine's podcast, matter of fact, and they actually had one of the Lutzes, uh, the youngest son, on the podcast talking about what actually occurred. It was, I, and again, I'll recommend this. Anybody who is listening, go check out FPI and Saul Presents the Dark Side. They've got some great interviews, some good stories. Uh, they're intelligent. They're fun to listen to. You might get a laugh because Carol's a pistol. Blaine's yes. got some great stories. Check them out. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway. Definitely worth it. My next story is Dead Woman's Crossing in Weatherford, Oklahoma. Uh, this one's a regular murder mystery turned ghost story. According to Atlas Obscura, in the early 1900s in Weatherford, Oklahoma, Katie DeWitt James left her home with her baby after she filed for divorce from her husband. She planned to move in with her cousin, but her family never heard from her. After an investigation, it turned out that she moved in with a local prostitute, Franny Norton. She was last seen leaving the house with Franny and her child in a carriage. Franny returned with the child, who was covered in blood, but without Katie. Her body was found later along a nearby creek with her head cut off. It was rumored that her ex-husband had her killed with Franny's help, but Franny claimed she wasn't involved in Katie's death. But on the day she was supposed to be questioned by the police, she poisoned herself. Katie's still around, though. She allegedly appears as a blue light floating around town, and people have reported hearing a woman looking for her baby and the rolling sound of wheels. Okay, okay. Yes. <laughs> Spooky stuff. Okay. Yeah, your turn. So I have, um, this is a little bit of a longer one, but then I'm going to be going back to short ones again. So, okay. Uh, the Boy in the Yellow Hat. Uh, this is put in by uh, the Occult Museum. So this is people who wrote into the museum. That one sounds familiar uh, to me also. So we lived in Okinawa for a few years. And I don't believe in ghosts, but I can't explain so many of the events that had happened in our apartment. The least scary had to be the boy. My son was describing this little boy that looked like his friend who was Japanese and how the boy wanted my son to follow him into the hallway. It was very matter-of-fact and only happened once. My son then said the boy was trying to turn into a monster. I tried my best to ignore the goosebumps all over me when he said that the little boy had a yellow hat on. I almost lost it, but managed to outwardly stay calm. I've been dreaming of a little boy coming to my side of the bed wearing a yellow hat and then turning into dust. Later, I talked to my friend about it and she laughed and said that the boy had been hiding in her daughter's closet for over a year now, yellow hat and all. Soon, a new neighbor moved in and she came banging on my door one night. She said something had grabbed her leg and she saw a yellow boy, a little boy in a yellow hat run away. I never didn't know my friend and I never and, and I had never told her about it. My kids are too young to be out and about talking with other kids at that point. A local friend told me to put salt across my threshold and scissors because scissors signify the end of a relationship in Japan. I didn't feel really threatened but uh, until I began dreaming about a woman standing in the doorway of our spare room, staring malevolently, malevolently at me. I hated going to that room because the dreams were just and bad and the feeling got as, as bad as the feeling I got there. I just always felt uneasy. There were always earthquakes 
because Japan's, you know, active. So little things like toys going off and especially the phone cord. Yes, we saw the landline swayed back and forth and it didn't seem too much out of place. One night, I stupidly decided to Google search Ghost of Okinawa. And after a lot of boring stuff I already knew, found a story that struck a nerve. It described a man whose wife was targeted by a female spirit. It sounded very frightening. And when I finished the story, I was shocked to my core to discover that the actual building listed in the previous residence was what, sorry, listed as their previous residence, which they moved out of a month before we moved in, was my building. The chances of the same apartment were slim, but I slammed my laptop cover down and vowed to salt every freaking room in my house because at least it might te- ease tension I felt there, like a placebo. The absolute breaking point came when one of my kids came screaming out of bed one night and found them huddled in a corner. I swore I heard a set of heavy footsteps as I jumped out of bed. It could have been sleep hallucinations, but I cried and held my child and whispered that we would leave, and we did. Okay. That's it. I, I probably would too. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a, I'm done. I mean, if you don't if you don't find out what they want and they continue to hunt, then yeah, you might you might decide to leave. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I've got one called Phantom of the Deep. This is by a okay. man by the name of Jerry Prezioso. He's an oceanographer in the Ecosystems and Aquaculture Division's Ocean and Climate Branch. Uh, which is based out of Narragansett Lab in Rhode Island. Here's his story. About 20 years ago, I was night snorkeling in about eight feet of water with a colleague near Point Judith, Rhode Island, trying to take some photos of squid predation on sand lance. Uh, As I knelt down on the sandy bottom to line up my shot, I placed one of my hands on the sand to steady myself. I spotted a school of squid feeding and I was readying my camera system when I suddenly felt a yank on the dive suit sleeve. Assuming it was my dive buddy, I turned around to see what he wanted. I saw nothing. He wasn't there. Eyes darting around, I spotted his dive light a little distance away. Uh Oh. My mind raced, trying to figure out what happened. Then another hard yank on my dive suit. I quickly looked down at my wrist, not knowing what to expect. And that's when I saw it, my phantom dive buddy, a large blue crab tugging away at my dive suit sleeve. Yeah, I'm hungry. Your lunch. For blue crab, yeah. Yeah, Blue crab. Nom, nom, nom. Yep. Nom. Okay, your turn. So these two are shorts, and we read them together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Man in the Mirror. Uh, sharing on behalf of my partner. When he was about four years old, he would walk, uh, talk to a man in the mirror that he saw. Naturally, his parents were curious about this behavior and asked him questions about the man. He told his parents details about the man, including his appearance, hobbies, and how he had died. It turns out that the former owner <clears throat> of the house was a man who committed suicide in the house and matched the description of the man my partner saw in the mirror. When his parents found out, they moved out a month later. Okay. We saw my dad listen and, and hear. Um, it's too bad we can't say this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like it. Anywho. Uh, uh, heavy footsteps. I was in the basement watching TV in the dark while my whole family was upstairs. 
As I'm chilling there, I hear footsteps coming down the basement stairs. And while I normally can tell which family member it is by the cadence or heaviness of the steps, I didn't recognize these ones. The footsteps stopped before the bottom of the stairs. So I started out calling, or I started out saying, oh, ha ha, so scary, I know it's you. I think it's my brother or someone trying to scare me. I looked back to the TV and the footsteps started again. As I whipped my head back to the stairs, just in time to see a dark figure go into a side bedroom that has glass doors. It's pretty much pitch black, so whoever, so I assumed whoever was in there was sitting right behind a glass looking at me. That's when I started getting scared, so I ran and flipped on the lights, only to find the room was empty. My entire family was upstairs. Still, it was too spooky. Yeah, I imagine it was. Yep. <clears throat> Strange noises and stuff. Everybody else yep. is somewhere else in the house, and you got no account for I it. Have that yet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How about disembodied whispers? Okay. Uh, Beth Fellin is a research fishery biologist and chief of the ecosystems of Aquaculture Division Fisheries Ecology Branch, which is based out of the Sandy Hook Lab. So there's a couple. Okay. A couple of these come from, you know. Aquatic people. <laughs> I don't know what to call them. But anyway. Aquanauts. We'll call them aquanauts. aquanauts. There we go. In 1985, <laughs> in 1985, the old Army hospital built in the late 1890s was part of uh, our Sandy Hook lab. During that time, we were conducting bluefish research in that building, and staff members working the night shift would record fish swim times each hour to ground truth video to ground truth video recordings documenting his swimming behavior. I had only been working at the lab a couple of months when I was asked to participate in the research. My office was on the first floor and the door to enter the research aquarium was in the basement. Connecting these two areas was a set of stairs to the basement, but to get there meant passing a large staircase to the second floor. I started hearing what I thought was whispered voices coming from upstairs. Not every time I passed the large staircase, but not, and not always clearly. I ignored it, thinking that maybe I only imagined it. By midnight, I decided to just stay in the basement aquarium room and sleep on the old hospital couch rather than walk through the building and pass the large staircase again. Since I was new and yeah, since I was new and wanted to keep my job, I continued sleeping in the basement whenever I had to work the night shift about once every six weeks. That was until the lab building burned down in September of 1985. The scary thing was an arsonist had lit the fire on the night I was supposed to work. I unfortunately had switched my shift to another night after the fire when a coworker and I were scavenging equipment from the lab ruins. I remember thinking to myself, finally, the building will be quiet. That's it for that one. Yep. Got herself some nice peace and quiet after a fire. Yeah. But it, yeah, it seems to me that the whispers that were there for a reason, like they were warning her. Something like that, yeah. She couldn't make out what they were saying, but it probably was a warning. And, you know, keeping him in the basement was, was not the safest but but yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yep. yeah. So what else do you okay, have? So, huh? What else do you have? So I have um, two more shortish ones. Okay. Uh, the first one is white mist. When I was about 14, I was staying up way too late on the computer. It was about one or two in the morning and everyone was asleep. 
I got thirsty and wandered down the hallway to get a drink. Didn't bother turn on any lights since there was a nightlight in the hallway and there was enough light to get me by. As I'm walking to the bed, back to the bedroom, I get this weird feeling like someone's watching me, and I turn around. There's a big white mist just floating right behind me. I immediately turn around and nope my way back to the safe, bright room. The thing is, there was no window facing that hallway, and I hadn't passed the nightlight yet, so it definitely wasn't a trick of the light. All doors leading to the hallway were, clo- were also closed. A few, years, a few years later, when I was moved uh, into the small room closest to the spot, I got the heebie-jeebies and couldn't sleep without a lamp on. It wasn't until some time later, after the sighting, that I learned that in the 80s, a guy was running the house. He was arrested for kidnapping, rape, and disappearance of a bunch of kids in the area for, he, for the suspected murder of his wife. They never found her, and she supposedly ran away, according to him. Cadaver dogs went over the farm, and they never found anything. The cops must not have done a good job, though, because when they moved in, my mom found a pair of boys' underwear in the toilet tank. Missing wife was never found, and he died in prison about a decade ago. I think she's still there, though. Sure, why not? It's where she was comfortable. Yeah, and she's watching you go, you know, to and from the ba- you know, bedroom to kitchen to bedroom. Yep. Just keeping tabs. Yep. <laughs> okay, well... Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were, what were you going to say? Uh, I'm just going to say do, do the next part that I have here because another short one. Okay, go ahead. So, uh, the old rocking chair. My grandma's a very stereotypical horror movie house. A uh, small Midwest town, white and old looking home on a farm. She even has a clipped wooden Mother Mary nativity in the front yard. You get the picture. The worst of it is she has a cemetery about half a mile down the road. Anyways, I used to sleep in the room in the corner on the top floor, my aunt's room, and had a wooden rocking chair in it. When I was younger, I would wake up because I thought I heard it creaking, to the point where I'd wake up my grandma and have to stay in her room. Well, about 10 years later, my mom, aunt, and I, during Thanksgiving, were talking about how creepy Grilla's house was. My aunt goes on to talk about how when she was younger, the reason... Uh, the reason my mom and her ended up sharing a room was because she thought the room was haunted. She said she'd wake up one morning in the rocking chair about two feet closer to her bed. And after that night, it started rocking on a nightly basis at midnight. Freaked me out. It freaked me out, too. Yeah. <clears throat> Although, you know, up here in my head, I would look forward to something like that. I don't know why, but I've yes. always wanted to see a rocking chair rocking by itself. If, if I could, you know, if I could, could talk to the to the entity rocking and say, you know, hey, knock it off. Yes, if it was like the rocking chair, or the, not not the rocking chair, that the the um, the the light up encounter, that the the dark encounter that I never had in the house that. At, at another person's house that, that was, you know, freaky enough. Like, no, no, I, I'm not, I'm not staying here. No. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Well, I said, I, I didn't have any old West stories to tell, uh-huh. but I ran out of stories. So during the break, <laughs> I actually did look up some and did find some old West stories. Yay! Uh, first, uh, did you know that uh, you've heard of the ghost of sleepy hollow, right? Of the legend of yes. sleepy hollow. I mean, did you know that uh, Texas has a headless horseman also? I did not. Oh, 
Okay, well, here we go. During the days of the Old West, it was the Texas Rangers who protected the Lone Star State from outlaws and gunslingers. It was two Rangers, Creed Taylor and William Alexander Anderson, Bigfoot Wallace, who would create the legend of El Muerto, the Headless One. In the 19th century, they were hunting a criminal known as Vidal along the Mexican border. Vidal had been wreaking havoc all over Texas, so when the Rangers caught them, they wanted to set an example. They beheaded him, tied his head to a saddle, and sent his horse with his headless body running off into the night. It is said that the headless horseman has still been seen riding the area at night, even over 100 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Okie dokie. Yep. So. Okie dokie. Yeah, so what do you think about that one? I want to know which came first. <laughs> headless Horseman head? of Texas or the Headless Horseman? Well, I would, happy that the, I would say the Legend the of Sleepy Hollow. But. <laughs> I would say the Legend so of Sleepy Hollow just because so. uh, that was a colonial ghost story. And here we're talking yes. about Texas Rangers, so that's more of an 1800s Old West story. Yep. So, that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you got now? Okay, so, I have two more. Okay. Um, just because these are short ones, so I'm just going to do the short ones together. Uh, piece of cake. My grandfather and I share close birthdays, two days apart, and we both love chocolate cake. My mom learned her mom's recipe, which was passed down from her mom, so I guess that I inherited this love for chocolate cake as well. Every year, we would drive upstate to see my grandfather on his birthday with a freshly baked cake, and he would greet us at the door with a smile, take the cake off our hands, and disappear in the kitchen. He loved his cake. He also smoked a particular type of pipe tobacco he always smelled in his house. To this day, whenever I catch a whiff of pipe tobacco, I think of him. Anyway, he passed away in 2004. The next year for my birthday, two days before his, my mom was making a cake for me when suddenly she smells his pipe tobacco. Now he lived hours away from us, hadn't been to our house in years due to my grandmother's family health, making it unable for him to travel. So there's no chance of his scent lingering around. Mom realized what was happening and started laughing and said, Dad, don't worry, I'll set a piece of cake for you when it's done. But you have to be patient. And then the smell went away. Now, if... Now, was it my grandfather's ghost visiting my mom, or was it my mom associating her father with a cake? I don't know, but I'd like for him to come back. But I'd like to come back from heaven just for a slice of that cake as well. Just for what was it? Angel food cake? No, chocolate cake. <laughs> chocolate cake. Okay. Just a chocolate cake. Just a chocolate cake. Um, the next one is the message. <clears throat> Around ten years ago. My Meryl died of a heart attack in her bathroom, less than a year later after her husband had died. This was in July, and if I remember correctly, my dad was absolutely devastated. I saw him cry for the first time in my life at her funeral, even though he'd been fairly stoic at his father's funeral. Life went on, though undoubtedly in a darker mood than usual for, for the first few weeks. <clears throat> About a month after my Meryl's funeral was my father's birthday. And he was working the night before his birthday in the morning hours of it as usual. My mother and I were up at, up late at like 2 a.m. Uh, her computer and sorry, on her, com her on her computer and me on the PlayStation, I can talk. When my dad came home, he worked an hour away and didn't usually get off till 6 or 7 a.m. 
We asked why he was home so early, and he said he got a birthday voicemail from his mother on his phone. Well, work shortly after midnight. His phone never rang. He just suddenly had a new voicemail. Phone long didn't show any incoming calls or missed calls. He played the message for us, and it was undoubtedly Lemonero's voice on that message. She said it made her happy that he missed her. They had a pretty strained relationship. And finished the message with a quick happy birthday song and a line from his favorite lullaby when he was a child. My dad kept that message on his phone until he got a new phone and listened to it pretty frequently. The message is so bone-chillingly clear. I honestly don't think it could even it could have ever been anything besides her. The only paranormal thing I've ever believed in. Messages from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because my mayor wanted to make sure you knew she cared. Yep. <clears throat> I'm okay. <laughs> Thank you for liking me again. Yep. <laughs> okay. We got time for one more. I'm going to tell it real quick here. It's okay, okay. Uh, the ship of death in Wyoming. Along the Platte River in Wyoming, people have been seeing what is known as the death ship since the 1800s. According to stories, the ship is covered in heavy fog and the skeletal crew members stand around a corpse lying on the deck. When they pull back the canvas covering the corpse, it's believed that the witness will see the face of somebody they know, foreshadowing their imminent death. According to all eyewitness accounts, the person they saw on the deck died the same day they saw the ship floating on the plat. Well, we're not out of stories, but uh, I think we've told enough for one night. <laughs> Look forward to, we to are seeing us, yeah, look forward to us doing uh, Weird Tales 3 sometime in the future. Yes. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy <laughs> Weird Tales 2 on What in the Podcast. And, uh, <laughs> keep listening, folks. Like I, and, and like I said, we're looking for, for uh, care stories, EMTs, firefighters, police, doctors, nurses, uh, morticians. If you've got stories about ghost encounters or anything like anything weird on the job send us a message you know how to do it by now i hope uh, if not well then i can't help you except to tell you again uh, you, can, you can send a message of it uh what the podcast at uh, gmail.com you can hit our group site what the podcast facebook group or any one of us at kent Whittington, at adriana camito at tracy lynn hernandez on facebook uh, or you can leave a, a voice message right here on the podcast, just below the link of the description. Just hit that record button and tell us your story. Or say you want to come on the show. We'll set you up. Uh, beyond that, I think we're done for the night. Anything else you want to add to that? Not that I can think of other than y'all stay safe out there. We in California have hit fire season so please be safe yes we have matter of fact when we were at the wedding this weekend i saw the smoke coming over the ridge i thought for sure it was going to come into the <sighs> into the bowl in the valley where we live but uh never did we got lucky on that one but you know was, stay safe it's, folks it's been, yeah yeah fire season is not fun. You've heard us talk about fire season before in the past. Just, you know, be careful if you're out here in the California area. 
it doesn't matter where you are, northern, southern, central. We have lots of woods out here. Fires break out when the, when the seasons get dry and, uh, you know, things get a little hairy. So just be careful. Take care of your fires if you're out there lighting one while you're camping or something like that. Make sure they're completely out before you before you leave the site. Uh, don't toss your matches into the brush. Uh, what else? Take water. Yep, take water with you. Douse. Not just douse. For, douse. Yep, yep, not just for drinking, but for dousing, definitely. Okay. Besides that, I think all we have left to say now is uh, what we usually say. Stay spooky and cue the gremlin. Cue the gremlin. What in the Podcast is a part of the What in the Podcast network and is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other great podcast formats. You can find us on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. If you have a great story idea or have a personal paranormal event that you want to share with us, email us at whatinthepodcast at gmail.com with your story, or you can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the episode description. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us five stars. It doesn't seem like much, but it helps us more than you can imagine. What in the Podcast is also made possible thanks to our sponsors and listeners like you. Thanks for listening.